This special episode of What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks makes it easy to bring your content, courses, events, and community all under one digital roof. Now, you might be thinking that this is the wrong time to build a community online. Maybe you think you've missed the opportunity, or maybe you think your business isn't ready to bring people together like this. But I'm here to tell you that you are right on time. Your customers, clients, and members are looking to you to help them navigate their careers, learn new skills, build new practices, and turn a time of uncertainty into a moment of clarity and courage. This is the perfect time to start building a Mighty Network. Give it a try today by going to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. One of the tools I often used in business coaching is a perspective map. It's simple. Imagine a square divided evenly into four quadrants. In the upper left corner is a box labeled say. In the upper right corner is a box labeled do. Below those are two boxes labeled think and feel. Once you have that, you imagine your target customer or really anyone you're designing for or communicating with. Then you imagine their challenge, desire, or goal. From there, you jot down what they say, do, think, and feel as they wrestle with and work to overcome their challenge or reach their goal. It's an exercise in getting out of your own expert brain and getting into the customer's perspective so that you're less likely to overlook something key when you're designing a new product, building a new course, or writing copy. It helps you see the challenge or goal the way your customer sees it instead of the way you naturally see it. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that takes you behind the scenes to explore how small business owners are building stronger businesses. Changing your perspective can certainly help you build a blockbuster product or write compelling copy. Changing your perspective can also help you see your own challenges, goals, and opportunities in a new light. Changing your perspective can help you get creative about the way you execute a project or manage yourself. The ability to change your perspective, to see things differently so that you can respond differently, well, it's a key business building skill. We've been given countless opportunities to shift our perspectives this year. Maybe you were challenged to do business in a way you previously thought you couldn't. Plenty of people who are doing work in person figured out how to do it online in creative and valuable ways. Maybe you were challenged to show up for your community in a new role as you cared for new needs among the people you serve. Many small business owners met the call to hold space for deep emotions and difficult conversations. Maybe you were challenged to change your relationship to success or failure. Many people faced a drop-off in demand or a surge of interest in a way that they couldn't control. You may have also been called in to see the pain of others from a new perspective, and in so doing, you might have started to change your perspective on how your business runs and the expectations you have for yourself. Learning to change your perspective, it's hard work, especially when the perspective you're trying to take runs counter to the way you've always seen things or the paradigm in which you've been socialized. So I wanted to share some of the things that have helped me shift my own perspective, especially over the last few years. 
I've learned that the first step I need to take to change my perspective is to assert awareness. In other words, I need to pay attention to the thing I want to shift. Recently, I've been working on my defensiveness or my knee-jerk tendency to explain away my behavior. I don't want to live with a defensive perspective, but that's how I've learned to respond to the world over three decades. So I have to shift my perspective. To do that, I have to start watching out for when I get defensive. It might happen in a meeting or in a conversation with my husband. It could happen when I'm being particularly judgy, or it could happen when someone is expressing a very real need. Once I'm aware of the defensiveness, at the very least, I can resist it. Better, I can choose something different, like curiosity. But without awareness, I can't change my perspective. Now, the second step I take to shift my perspective is, as I mentioned, to get curious. If I'm trying to understand the way someone else sees things, I need to get curious about what's influencing them, what past experiences might be impacting their response, or how their worldview might act as a different filter from my own. If I'm trying to see my own challenge or goal from a different perspective, I need to get curious about what's influencing me. I need to look at the assumptions I've made or whether the data I've collected is biased. Finally, I need to integrate the new perspective, if not as my own, at least as true for the person I'm in relationship with or valid as a solution to the problem or path to the goal. Often, that means that I have to make peace with difference, as Sonia Renee Taylor writes in The Body is Not an Apology. I need to learn to hold different things as being true and valid and recognize that they can coexist beyond one being right and another being wrong. And of course, I hope it goes without saying that I'm not trying to accept perspectives or differences that are actively harmful to others. All right. At this point, you might be wondering what all this has to do with business. And it has everything to do with business. By being able to shift our perspectives, we become better problem solvers. We become better communicators and marketers. We become better ambassadors for our brands and better stewards of our messages. We start to see new ways to connect with people. We start to reduce the harm that we do. We become better bosses, better customer support reps, better community builders, better managers of ourselves and others. And that's really what this episode is all about. Today, you're going to hear from four small business owners who have learned to see things in a new way to shift their perspective. And as a result, show up differently for themselves and their businesses. I've got stories from writing coach Beth Barani, WorkBrighter founder Brittany Berger, business finance coach Lauren Caselli, and speech language pathologist and life coach Melissa Page Deutsch. Everyone has a very different story of how they learned something new and how it shifted their perspective. Pay attention to how that new perspective helped them see both their challenges and their opportunities in new ways. First up, let's hear from Beth Barani. Beth is a creativity coach for writers and helps them polish and publish their novels. About 10 years ago, Beth started to learn a completely new skill that shifted her perspective on how she can help her clients succeed. I started my business 14 years ago in 2006, and I really didn't realize until I started how much I didn't know about running a business. I thought being a social person with good customer service skills and knowledge of my craft was good enough, but I soon learned that there was so much I didn't know, especially about sales and marketing. Um, and I was so unconscious about even the things I, I was doing well. So. 
I took a lot of business training and I stumbled into these business trainers who were teaching business through NLP. And I had vaguely heard about NLP, which stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, but I didn't really know anything about it. And the way they taught us business skills in their big, you know, huge room seminar things was so fabulous. I, I really felt seen and heard. And I, for the first time, I, I really had tremendous hope that I could really make my business into something. So far, I'd been struggling financially, kind of lurching from one <laughs> group of clients to the next or one project to the next, because um, I also do book production. And I just felt ungrounded. And I felt like um, I was a smart person, but I was I was really confused on how to run a business. So through that business training, I discovered NLP Marin because the trainers studied there and I wanted to go right to the source. Um, so it took me about a year to finally sign up with them. And uh, in all honesty, I have been involved with them since like 2011, I believe. So about nine years. And I've done subsequent trainings um, over the years since since then. I really wanted to I, I really felt like I didn't know what I was doing in my business. But like I said, with sales and marketing and um, taking courses at NLP Moran and doing their master certification program and advanced classes really helped me, number one, understand how I functioned and kind of start to find a way to truly understand how other people functioned. Meaning um, when someone was stuck with, with not being able to learn something and learning a craft, learn a piece of fiction. Let me, let me take a specific example of a current client I have where she essentially feels like she cannot learn how to be a better fiction writer. So I realized that my job isn't necessarily teaching her all the pieces she knows about craft and how to write a good sentence and how to write a good scene and what makes for a compelling character. But really a big part of my job, I realized, is helping her um, be um, confident in her ability to learn how to be a better writer. And I really wouldn't have understood any of that below the surface kind of thing if I hadn't studied NLP. Because in NLP, we were taught, <laughs> we were taught these, I think there's five or six, what they, they're called organismic rights. And just really understanding how sometimes people can really get stuck around the right to learn. And some people can really have a painful early experience in their life that really tells them that they have decided that they can't learn. And to understand that that was a belief that could be changed has really helped me see in, in all areas of life, but specifically in this right to learn, because I'm all about education, I, I can see when my students are stuck. It's not about the craft of learning the actual tools of fiction. It's really they're stuck around, is it even okay or to learn or I'm bad at learning. So learning NLP tools has helped me see what the problem is beneath the problem. And, and, and that, that's been so fascinating. So I can take each student on a you know individual basis and really help them in those core beliefs that might be in the way of learning fiction. And then also these tools of NLP really help me understand, try and understand what is their way of looking at their own reality and at writing fiction that then I try and get onto their map and try and find language and examples and stories that might help them connect the dots. 
and really um, have their own ahas around learning how to be better fiction writers. So that's just an example of how the tool, I think, has really helped me help my students. Um, I didn't even touch on the sales and marketing piece, um, which is it feels kind of really big. And I, I honestly, I can't think of an example right off the top of my head. Um, but overall, NLP has really helped me stand in my strength and really be okay with the way things are instead of beating myself up around the way I think others think things should be. That has been a huge transformation for me, but it's happened slowly over time. And it makes me feel okay, <laughs> just okay with the way things are most of the time. I can really relate to Beth's experience here. As you know, reclaiming my identity as an athlete and learning all sorts of new athletic skills has really changed the way I approach my business. While running or bouldering or weightlifting seems pretty far removed from the work I do on a daily basis to support small business owners, it's helped me shift my perspective and made me a much more effective leader and coach, just like Beth. What skills have you learned over the years that have changed your perspective on how you serve your customers? Next, we're going to hear from Work Brighter founder, Brittany Berger. Brittany is on a mission to help burnout-prone pros go beyond working smarter to a version of productivity that makes room for unproductive things like rest, self-care, and joy. Brittany brings us a story about how learning and practicing technical skills like coding has shifted her perspective on problem-solving and resourcefulness. I guess um, the skill I want to tell you about is, I guess, called learning technical languages. Uh, and it's such a hobby skill for me that I don't even know the official name. All I know is that I've always loved learning things like coding and scripting and going all the way back to customizing my live journal page and my Neopets guild profile and reprogramming the notification sounds on AOL Instant Messenger to play my favorite songs. And even though it was never something that I considered as a profession, it was also never something I wanted to completely let go. And so I've continued to pick it back up now and then, hop back into the world, speak the language, all that. And every time I do, I'm just reminded of how valuable of a skill it is. First of all, working online especially, it's just so useful to have these technical skills. There have been so, so, so many times when a WordPress post or a landing page needed a quick customization that I could easily do in a few minutes, whereas if I had had to wait for a dev team to return my emails or to hiring someone to go do it, it would have taken days or weeks and also with a lot of software tools, I can really easily customize things beyond so the default settings myself because I know how to cobble together things like CSS or uh, JavaScript and things like that to do so. Um, like one of my favorite examples is how it's made using Liquid in my ConvertKit emails easier. That helps me write more personal feeling emails to my audience. Um, I also can create fun and helpful formulas in all of my Notion and Airtable databases, which just makes spreadsheets and databases more enjoyable to be in. And it lets me automate my personal productivity even beyond what all of the fancy business tools can provide and enable. But all of that is just like, 
the appetizer. The real meal, the more important thing, is how learning and coding and technical skills just I feel like it changes the way you think and problem solve. You learn how to troubleshoot and look for answers differently. I have not only heard this from people that do it professionally, but as someone who does this as a hobbyist who jumps in and out at random times, I can really experience the difference of thinking this way and not makes. Whenever I spend more time digging through technical languages and tweaking code, I find myself seeing the other problems around me completely differently. It's honestly kind of wild. Like a literal example from the past few months is that I looked at a corner of my apartment that had been feeling just cluttered and off for ages, and suddenly, almost magically, I could see a better way to arrange things and organize it to create more space. Uh, And that's just a recent example, but it is not the only one. Now, and so now that I have really realized how powerful keeping these skills sharp can be, I am so much more intentional about making time for it. Like I mentioned before, I've been brushing up on Liquid so that I can write really awesome personal feeling emails. I'm also working on learning Python, and I haven't touched JavaScript in years, so I've been brushing up on that. And it has been so much fun. I absolutely recommend it. I'm a huge proponent of learning technical skills and coding for these very reasons, and I'm glad Brittany is too. I know the trendy thing is to outsource anything and everything like this, but even learning the most basic website development and internet skills have helped me see opportunities others have missed. It makes me feel resourceful and capable of anything, and if that's not a shift in perspective we all need, I don't know what is. Okay, our third story comes from Lauren Caselli, a coach who helps service providers and consultants price their work appropriately and with their expertise in mind. Lauren's shift in perspective came from learning to recognize an unlikely result of the wild year she's had as an entrepreneur. In business, we're always taught that the work we do is a series of learning lessons. Learn how to deliver our service, learn who our ideal client is, learn how to price, learn how to pitch, on and on forever. But what I realized is a less discussed part of business is that things sometimes will go horribly wrong, guaranteed. You'll clam up during a big keynote, you'll have to fire a team member, you'll experience a breach of trust if your work is copied, not to mention a legal battle that goes with it. A global pandemic that eliminates gatherings and events will completely tank your primary source of revenue. You can't see me, but my hand is raised. Not one of us can escape the hard and painful parts of business. A popular topic that has been a part of more discussions in 2020 is to overcome the inevitable hard parts of business, we need to build resilience, defined by Google Dictionary as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or toughness. But while we all agree on what resilience is, we don't really discuss on how you become resilient. How do you build the capacity to bounce back quickly? For many years, for me anyway, the popular discourse was around a shoving of feelings. Bouncing back was accompanied with minimizing action plans, next steps. You'll bounce back or you've just got to get over it are often refrains we hear from others or maybe repeat to ourselves when it seems like everything is going wrong. But what I know, and what hopefully I think a lot of us are starting to figure out more and more, is that the action planning is not the first step of building resilience. It's recognizing the grief of what was, saying goodbye to that, and iterating it into something new. 
This year, my plan was to work more in a consulting capacity, helping service providers and consultants price their work appropriately for their market and sell that work better. I'd been in the event planning industry for 15 years, and when I thought about my life in five more years, it didn't involve doing an installation into a hotel ballroom at 5 a.m. So I knew in January that I was going to be moving toward a different client base, and I was ready for the work that that included. And when COVID hit the U.S. at the end of February and all of my clients had effectively canceled events, you'd think that I would have been relieved. I wasn't. I was shocked. And then inexplicably, I was sad. For the first time in my life, instead of going into resiliency, I gave myself permission to grieve. Grief looks a lot of different ways. For me, there was a lot of crying to be expected, but it also meant that I had to do a lot of work on not limiting my grief. I told myself that I will feel sad for as long as it takes me to not feel sad, which, by the way, was an incredible privilege to be able to take the time that time due to another resiliency I built in my business, which was a healthy emergency fund. The more I practiced my grief, meaning the, the more I allowed for sadness, bouts of crying, days where I could only do two to three hours of work by, uh, and also taking random days off, and the less I shamed myself for not being productive, the less intrusive the grief became until August when it felt like I had no grief left in me. And on the other side of grief was incredible creativity. There was a boldness I'd never felt before. There was more gratitude and excitement. I had $0 in income in July and then $14,000 over six weeks in August and September because I felt so focused on the work I was creating. For me, huge shocks like losing all of my business at once mean there's going means there's going to be a huge backlash, like four solid months of grieving. It was an intense, exhausting period emotionally. But when I actually looked at my timeline, I was right on track for where I wanted to be project-wise in 2020, stopping all event work by July and focusing on coaching in August. Being able to experience my grief all at once with the help of a qualified therapist, of course, took way less time for me to gather all of my business back up such that now if there's ever a hint of grief, I can move my entire calendar around to make space for it. Otherwise, in my experience, my grief has subtly derailed me, making me feel exhausted constantly and getting nervous on conference calls for no reason. Nothing I could really point to as a problem, but things that sabotaged me working in my best and most valuable capacity. Now I know that making space for my grief, my sadness, and my anger is a skill. Like writing my weekly newsletter is a skill. One that has the power when deployed to shorten the distance between a triggering event and my ability to resume work as usual or better. And when denied, lengthens the pain of the process of getting back to my old self. I really appreciate Lauren's vulnerable share here. As she tells it, Lauren experienced a specific grief at the loss of business and one possible future. But many of us have experienced ambiguous loss this year, a term I learned from Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us. We're walking around with something that looks and feels like grief, but we haven't processed it that way. As Lauren shared, by learning to process the grief, she's able to shift her perspective on her own needs and better respond to what comes up. Finally, let's hear from speech-language pathologist and life coach Melissa Page-Deutsch. Melissa learned to value an underdeveloped part of her personality and how it could shift her perspective on her opportunities for growth. I know the term we're looking at is up-leveled our businesses, but for me, it it was more of a reconnecting with the base of my business. So my shift was this. I thought about what drew me into coaching in the first place. And I got into coaching because it gave me a great sense of um, of having a positive impact on other people's lives, which is one of my, I think, missions in life. And it also allowed me to really dive into some areas that fascinate me. And 
One of those areas is uh, how our unconscious drives have an impact on all of our choices and all of our moods and the way we interact with the world and with ourselves. My finding has been that when I get to know my unconscious drives, when I can shine a light on them and bring them into my conscious awareness, I, I just have a much more grounded sense in my being. So one of my unconscious drives that was very unconscious was this archetype called the destroyer. And I found out about this when I went into um, training to learn about narrative archetypes. This was part of my uh, exploration, my ongoing constant learning that I enjoy doing. So I got certified in kind of looking at narrative um, intelligence and the archetypes that live within each of us. There are 12 archetypes in this particular program or line of study. And they're universal. They're kind of like characters or um, energies within us that we identify with or that we don't identify with. And we call on these energies as part of um, who we are and how we react to things, how we make choices, how we interpret what happens around us. My most highly scored identified with archetypes were the magician, the creator, and the sage. And boy, was I happy about that. I like could not have been more pleased. And I thought, yes, I feel like I have aced this test. This is exactly what I would want to have as my identified archetype. And then I looked at my least identified archetype, which was, as I said, the destroyer. And again, I was so pleased because this meant that I was a nice person. I'm not a destroyer until I looked at what I was missing out on by denying this, this energy within myself or suppressing it or pretending like it's not part of who I am. And what happens when I just deny the destroyer in me is that I, I hold on to too many things. So I have too many irons in the fire or too many possibilities swimming in my head of what I could do and I'm super excited about all of these possibilities, but I'm immobilized by the sheer volume and the sheer excitement and intensity of what I want to do because it's, it's too much. I have to narrow down my focus and that's where the destroyer comes in. I think of this as if I have this garden and if I plant a ton of seeds and just allow them to grow, it becomes crowded and overgrown. And there's a fight for resources, for water, nourishment, and for sunlight. But the destroyer is the weeder. The destroyer can go in and yank out um, the overgrowth, yank out the uh, what are the non-invasive, the non-native invasive plants that are sucking all the resources from what I want to grow. The destroyer. So that's. That kind of up-leveled my business in one sense in that any time when I look back on leaps I've made professionally, it's because the destroyer was in place. Um, so for, when, for instance, when I went from being a full-time stay-at-home mom into coaching, I had to let go of this wrapped-around caregiver archetype I kind of over-identified with. And I had to recognize that my family is a team and I'm not in charge of everyone's happiness, but that we really root for each other. 
and we talked about my return to work and everybody was so supportive and it allowed me to to go freely into this this new kind of scary area for myself. Anyway, I just wanted to share with you this particular kind of mindset I had returning to what excites me about the work I do and how reconnecting with this insight about the destroyer in me helped me look at where I need the destroyer in my life right now even as I kind of contemplate my next area of growth. I hope this is helpful to you and I hope that you find what kind of connects you to your passion with your work and what even were your uh, what's your what are your roots and your history into what's what's exciting to you about the work that you do and it's okay to take a pause and figure out what to destroy next. How's that for a shift in perspective? By connecting with the destroyer aspect of her personality, Melissa has learned how to make space for her next chapter and take advantage of new opportunities. All right, how about you? How have you learned to shift your perspective to see new possibilities and solve problems in creative ways? How have you learned to change your perspective to see things from someone else's worldview or experience? Learning to change your perspective is a key skill for leveling up your business and becoming a stronger leader, too. Huge thanks to Beth Barani, Brittany Berger, Melissa Page-Deutsch, and Lauren Caselli for contributing their stories this week. Next week, we're wrapping up our series on leveling up and learning new skills by talking with money coach Keena Newell from Wealth Over Now. Keena shares how unlearning default thought patterns helped her unlock a whole new level of success as a business owner. Now, also next week, we're launching something new that I am really excited about. It's called the Stronger Business Playbook. The Stronger Business Playbook is like having a business coach in your back pocket. The playbook helps you take a look at your business or a challenge you're facing from a new angle, examine the information you have, and create a plan for moving forward. The playbook includes more than 15 templates on everything from your business model to your marketing strategy to standard operating procedures to financials. Plus, there are 50 prompts for approaching your marketing and sales, offer development, money, operations, and mindset from a new perspective. The Stronger Business Playbook is a comprehensive toolkit for building a business that runs smoothly, causes fewer headaches, and makes you more money. The playbook is only available to members of the What Works Network. When you join us now, you get instant access to the playbook, plus a year of support in a community of experienced small business owners and access to our next session of the Commitment Blueprint. We're opening the doors to new members on Tuesday, November 24th. Request your invitation by going to explorewhatworks.com slash network. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our production assistants are Kristen Runvik and Lou Blazer. Special assistance this week provided by Shannon Paris. Now get more of What Works delivered to your inbox every week with our free newsletter, What Works Weekly. Every Thursday, I share a personal letter along with my hand-picked resources for building a stronger business. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash weekly to sign up.